0: Live only on Netflix. You ready?
1: Showtime on May third. Summer starts with the Fall Guy. We're doing later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Wait a second, this is not our regular music. Rich, what are you doing?
0: Never mind, just do the intro. Uh,
1: all right. Um, hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Athletic Obscure Podcast. The podcast that's the home of the weird, strange, and unknown in sports. This is weird, Rich. I don't really like this. <laughs> Anyways, my name is Seth Mormon. Cross the table for me, as always, is my good friend Richard Manning. Are you in the holiday mood now, though? Uh, I guess so. You should. I mean,
0: look at the calendar.
1: I know. Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. We're time uh, to do our special Halloween episode. Ooh, look at that. Music just kind of got. Yeah, that was Psycho clown. Circus. Yeah. I, I'm not a fan. All right. I'm, I'm bringing this
0: down. <laughs> but right. you need to like, give credit, right?
1: Yeah. Bensound.com. Uh, free royalty music. I'll put that in the show notes, too. Okay, uh, good. Whew, all right. All right. Now we're done. Specialty uh, um, that really sound. freaked you
0: out. Are you going to be okay? Can I, I get you some water?
1: I I might need some water. I am not. I am not a uh, a scary movie person or or scary thing. I don't like to be startled. Alrighty then. I like to watch when people get startled. Can I tell you a quick story before we get going? Yes, all Go. right. Uh wh- I used to work at at, uh, at uh, Angel Stadium in Anaheim, uh-huh. and uh, at the beginning of the game, they're playing the Star Spangled Banner, and you know, and the Rockets Red Glare, and they would always shoot fireworks, you know, from the rocks that are out there. But people who haven't been there to the games a lot don't know that, so it would always like startle them. So I would just watch the crowd and the Rockets Red Glare, boom, and like a thousand people all jump. And I just thought that was the, the funniest thing ever. <laughs> Anyways, so maybe maybe I, I I'm I like this more than uh, anything else. So, so Rich, w- Halloween time. Yes. Um, you have any any Halloween memories? Any Halloween traditions?
0: Well, you know, I always love to throw on uh, uh, horror movies. I'm a big horror movie guy, and yeah, uh, since me. you know, our oldest daughter is old enough to where she appreciates. Good scary movies. So we've been going through and looking for new ones. We found a couple of new ones that are really uh, effective, and showing okay. her some of the classics. Um, you know, it's really really fun to see which ones have freaked her out and which ones have not. And it's been kind of a surprising mixed bag. And so okay. it's been a lot of fun re- revisiting me watching these horror movies for the first time as a teenager, sure, and through her eyes as now a teenager watching. These scary, freaky movies. Yeah, they freak me out way too much. I just don't. I
1: don't do well. I end up having terrible dreams about it. Yeah, and the
0: other tradition now is just uh, we really like to decorate. We have lots of cool, funky ghosts and uh, skeletons and all that kind of stuff. It's just we have like about three or four Halloween bins of Halloween decorations in our garage.
1: How about you? Um, you know, I when I think about Halloween, the first thing that comes to my mind is when I was a kid, we didn't really celebrate Halloween. We would go to church for the fall festival. Okay. And, you know... It was the '70s, and they were trying to say, "Oh, Halloween is this terrible thing. Don't have your children connected to it." Yep. And then we would all like show up and like with like you know zombies and all sorts of stuff to church. I'm like, I don't know if that, will. but I remember like bobbing for apples. Yeah. you know, and and the those those were great. Um, my parents did not let us trick or treat. I, my parents didn't either. We went. We would go. We get in the car. My dad would drive us to somebody's house that we knew. We get out, we trick or treat, then we get back in the car, and we drive to somebody else's house that we knew, and we get out and trick or treat, and get back in the car.
0: Okay, yeah. So, I, I don't know because we're the pro, we're of the generation were the urban legends of uh, oh, people yeah. sticking razor blades in apples. Exactly. You know, I, I would never want an apple. And it was
1: at the end of the fall festival, they would give us this bag that was like filled with candy, but it was really only candy at the top, and then underneath was like all like peanuts and like two apples and stuff I was like oh Ew, was you got gypped <laughs> totally every year anyway Um recently though um, uh, my wife and I we do uh, a big bounce house in the front of our house okay on Halloween and everybody in the neighborhood knows that we're the bounce house house for Halloween All right and we usually have uh, you know a cooler that's got uh, juice boxes and we have uh, if any we usually buy a ton of pizza and if anybody wants a slice of pizza I don't know how that's going to go in COVID times but we also have another cooler that's got, like, beer and wine for the, the grown-ups who are right. taking the
0: trick-or-treaters around. That always is pretty pretty popular. I'm kind of surprised that it hasn't happened yet, that there was, like, adult trick-or-treating, that people just had, like, the little mini-bottles, right. mini-travel right. bottles. Right, right, right. Now, be fun. I, I, will, I will say, um,
1: as a huge fan of the Kevin Bean show... Uh-huh. I can't think of Halloween without this. Now, I can play part of the song and we won't get in trouble. Are
0: you ready? All right.
1: <laughs> Maybe you know this song. Sing it Sing along. See, you know
0: it. Halloween, Halloween,
1: ooh, Halloween.
0: Go sleeping, going to sleep, ooh, ah, ooh, ah. All right.
1: So. Uh, that's an inside joke for uh, anybody who's a a Kevin and Bean fan um but uh Halloween spooks they'd play it every year anyways yeah. I think about uh, uh this song for Halloween and Halloween for the song you know they yeah. just go back and forth um, So do you have a favorite Halloween
0: costume you ever did
1: Um my I right, let's let's get out of this so we don't Yeah get this is yeah. uh <laughs>
0: Bean is gonna come uh, come across the pod from England and tell us to shut it exactly. down. Exactly. Anyway. Uh,
1: favorite favorite costume. Um, we never had money to get costumes. Like all my friends would go like to Kmart and get like the cool costume, and I had to like make things up. So I would like I was zombie a lot. I was like nondescript monster mm-hmm. by like wearing a t shirt with like uh, holes in it, and then putting like dirt from the backyard on my face. We were poor, Richard. I didn't really have. <laughs> oh, we didn't have much. Um, yeah. What about you? Any any costumes?
0: My favorite costumes have been as a uh, grown up because now you, Halloween is to the point where you know it's not uncommon for uh, grown ups to have oh, Halloween absolutely. parties. And oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think two of my favorites is one year I dressed up as Andy Cap, yes, and uh, with the scarf and everything. Yep. And the other one is I dressed up as Charles Nelson Riley from Match Game. <laughs> And I even found blue construction paper and cut it into squares and just carried them with me. Oh, that is phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. I love it.
1: Um, yeah, I always think, you know, people are way more clever than I am. You know, I see people that they have, like, a whole bunch of, like, socks and stuff, like, pinned to them. And they're, what are you? I'm like, I'm Static cling, you know. And I'm like,
0: oh. So one year, my wife and I, and this will be, then we'll get into the meat of this thing. But I just have to show because it just popped into my head. She dressed up in a scarecrow outfit. Uh-huh. She made me wear a Los Angeles Kings t-shirt, okay, a, a dress, and a little crown, and we win a scarecrow Mrs. King. Oh, my gosh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> that's ridiculous. <laughs> Which was an old 80s TV yes, show.
1: right. Oh, uh, oh,
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. I, um,
1: did we talk about this on the podcast or were we talking about it somewhere else? I remember somebody dressing up um, at, with uh, um, uh, yellow sweats and a yellow sweatshirt. Uh, and they were um, from The Sound of Music. They were, you know, Ray, a drop of golden sun.
0: Yes. Yeah. Or yeah. Or it's like when we went to go see the uh, Sound of Music sing along at the Hollywood Bowl oh, that years was crazy. ago. Yeah. And there was these two women were, that were dressed in like these, uh, you know, governesses' outfit, and they were tied by a string, and they were a long line of governesses. I can't remember a that. Single line for the movie. Yep. It kind of frightened me. Anyway, that whole cosplay stuff is, is is fantastic. I know you and your wife and your whole family do a lot of cosplay. Oh yeah, stuff and I, that's huge. Every year, I, I have more fun doing cosplay for like WonderCon than yeah. I do Halloween. And I, my go-to costume is I am Walter Sobchak from the Big Lebowski, and it's, you're perfect. It's if you've ever if,
1: if you it just. Google that, and you'll know exactly what Richard looks like. Yep. So, um, I I I think I do a little cosplay outside of Halloween too, but it's it's usually dealing like with with like events at 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 work. Uh, we do a golf tournament every year, and I don't golf. I've I've tried; it's just not good. We've talked about this on the podcast before. I, it's a, it's a long walk ruined. Um, but I um, I will dress the part of like uh, you know. Knickers, argyle socks. Payne Stewart. Yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll get. I'll, I'll have the whole. Th- I have multiple different uh, of those uh, aspects. Um, I've been an auctioneer at a couple of auctions for work before too. And whatever theme the auction is, I dress up. You know, I have
0: a full-on costume for it. I that, I enjoy it. A that's lot. good stuff. That's really good stuff.
1: Now, now, Rich, we're t- uh, kicking around the idea of a Halloween episode uh, a lot. You had like a specific topic uh, and kind of a story you wanted to cover, and and. If I remember, this was kind of one of the first kind of ideas that we had months ago when we were starting to put things down. right? I
0: think you're right, and I honestly don't know what that says about me. But uh, <laughs> well, yeah, no, this I'm, was a topic I really wanted to cover when we came up with this idea.
1: So I'm going to let you drive the bus on this one. Uh, you you did the research, so um, give me give me you know the spiel. What, what's it about?
0: Death. <laughs> okay, that that escalated
1: quickly. Okay, All right. specifically, not
0: just death. Okay. okay, so I wanted to talk about this guy named Ray Chapman. Okay. who was the only Major League Baseball player that died because of an on-field incident. Ah, okay. um, you know, before we get started, though, um, Seth, I think it's important to really lay the context that. We don't want to be totally ghoulish on this, right? You know, we we don't
1: we don't want to minimize death. We're not here to profit from the death of anybody. Um, that's far from who Richard and I are as people, no. uh, uh, completely. But as you as as Rich tells this story, this is a fascinating story, and it's it's rooted in the sports world. It's right up our alley. It's weird, strange, unknown. Yeah, and and yes, the, there is a tragic death that that is involved in this, but. The there's a whole lot more to it, so
0: and that and that's exactly the thing because it's a, such a layered story loaded yeah. with context, right? Uh, but before we get deeper, uh, dig deeper into it, let's just set the scene. And this is really the story that I know for years I was just familiar with, just the surface level. Sure. So August 16, 1920, the New York Yankees are playing the Cleveland Indians at the polo ground in New York. And this is before Yankee Stadium was built, so right. they, pl- they shared the polo grounds with the Giants. Yep. Uh, the Indian star shortstop Ray Chapman gets beamed in the head mm. in the fifth inning by Yankee pitcher Carl Mays. He dies early the following morning. Mm, terrible. Terrible stuff, right? But you know, so but there's so much more to the story that uh, that deserves a lot more context than guy getting, you know, guy dying after getting bean. Right, right. The whole story involves a wildly popular athlete, a hot a hothead pitcher everyone hated, a tight pennant race, a sport in serious trouble, and a future Hall of Famer.
1: Oh, fascinating! All right, I am intrigued. You got a lot of context going here. Yes, all right. So much
0: so, I think we need to take a break before uh, we get into the story. Boo. Oh yeah, whatever Richard. I booed you the last time. So, right. All right, so yeah. what
1: we're going to do is we're going to actually put this music in because now I'm in charge <laughs> of the
0: board. Hey, this is more basebally, so right. it's, yeah, exactly. whatever.
1: All right, uh, we're going to be right back. Oh, that's your line. Take it.
0: Oh yeah, we're going to be right back. So uh, join us, won't you? All right, see ya. It's only a kick.
1: shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the
0: we just hit a million orders stage
1: no matter what stage you're in shopify's there to help you grow sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer all lowercase that's shopify.com slash special offer rich and i may be new at podcasting but our podcast partner is not We use Anchor.fm to host and distribute the Athletic Obscura podcast. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way we have found to make and distribute a podcast. Let me explain. First of all, it's totally free, which is a huge selling point for us. Second, there are a ton of creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. No additional software needed and no complex programs to learn. Once you've recorded your podcast, Anchor will distribute it for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. One of the coolest things is that you can actually make money from your podcast right away. No need to wait to grow your audience as there are no minimum listener requirements to be met, which helps you when you're just starting out. Anchor has everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started.
0: Richard. Yep. Because you loved it so much the last time. All right. Yeah. Come on. You know, it's only we only get to do this once a year. Okay. So, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. All right. But now we can 86 it. Okay. Yeah, just because I care about you and I don't want you to <laughs> I don't want you to get into the holiday spirit and like uh, stab me.
1: I might. I am yeah. not I'm not a fan of that. Hey, thanks uh thanks for joining us again. Um yeah. Rich, it's all you.
0: All right, so are you ready to dive into this uh, Ray Chapman uh, incident? Let's
1: do it. Um, we, uh, we we got our spooky music. I don't want to get in trouble with any more copyright, so uh, let's go.
0: All right, so obviously the first thing we need to do is dig into who this Ray Chapman fellow is. Right. You know, I did the research on him, and like I said, before I did the research, I really just was familiar with the surface level. I just knew that it was a terrible incident. I knew some of the interesting stuff that happened after the fact. hmm But I really didn't dig into the full context of the players involved. And what I did, it completely blew me away. Um, At the risk of sounding a little bit too morbid. Okay. uh, But this is just a comparison. Again, not to be ghoulish or anything like that. But Ray Chapman was to Cleveland as Kobe Bryant was to L.A. Oh, all right. So... Super duper popular yeah,
1: athlete. Yeah, this this is this is more than just simply um you know just a player on the team.
0: No, this was the player, this was the face of Cleveland athletics. Okay. All right. So Ray Chapman was a legitimate star for the Indians. Uh he was he usually batted number two. Okay. And he was the ideal number two hitter, and this is during the dead ball era. Sure, right? sure. So you know he was a guy that knew how to play, quote, small ball by running the bases, stealing. Yep. Moving runners over, uh, despite the fact that he only played in the majors for six and a half years, he still ranks sixth all time in sacrifice hits. So get, get him on, get him over, get him in. Yeah, exactly. Love Small it. ball. Yeah. You know, and he also um, was known uh, for running the bases really well. He led the American League in runs and walks in 1918. Okay. He also was really good at stealing, uh, as I mentioned before. Uh, he was also a, an exceptional fielder. At the same time, he also had a reputation for hunching over the plate with his batting stance. Okay. So he was very uh, crowded, high and tight. Sure. You know, so that will obviously come into play later on in the story. Um, so don't take my word for it. I found this quote from the Cleveland News. Okay. once uh, That once said that Chapman was, quote, the greatest shortstop that is considering all-around ability, batting, throwing, base running, bunting, fielding, and ground covering ability – to mention nothing of his fight spirit and conscientiousness, ever to wear a Cleveland uniform. So, pretty much, you know, the the Indians had a couple of star players back in the early days of the American League. Nat Lejoy comes to mind, sure. And this guy is saying, "Yeah, this guy was even better than him. Ray Chapman was better than him."
1: Wow, that that so, that's amazing. And this is like a if we would make a list of five tool players in the dead ball era, this is it.
0: Yeah, right? he would. You could make a case for. Him uh, being the shortstop, I mean, it's really down to him or Ho- Honus Wagner. Yeah, yeah, you know, really. Um, when you think about it, and uh, off the field, Chapman was also known for being a good-natured, cheerful guy of great enthusiasm. He was also practically a celebrity. Okay, not only just in the Cleveland era. I'll get to that in a second, but he played piano. He once won an amateur singing contest. <laughs> And he made some big time showbiz friends. Okay. he was buddies with Al Jolson and Will Rogers. Those are no slouches. No, Will Rogers is like you know the first real you know, uh, you know the first real American humorist of the twentieth century. Right, Not, you know Mark, Mark Twain, of course, yep. but he's more nineteenth century. Yep. Uh, so yeah, so that's the kind of company he's rolling with. In addition, he joined the Naval Reserve at the end of the nineteen eighteen season. Wow. and served during the last two months of World War One. In short, this dude was beloved, and not just because he was a great ball, great baseball player. You know, for Cleveland sports fans, he was more or less LeBron James before LeBron James. And Cleveland's a great sports town, has been forever. Absolutely, yeah. and it all starts with the Indians because they're the yeah. first major league team. Because you know the the Browns didn't come up to the forties and mm-hmm. the Cavs didn't come up to the seventies, mm-hmm. so this was you know the the Cleveland sports revolved around the Indians, yeah. and they really and-
1: they really only had a cup of coffee in the NHL
0: yeah they yeah. had one season the Cleveland Barons, yeah uh, and they folded yeah and, so uh, so I mean if you're a Cleveland
1: sports fan you're you you're a fan of the Indians, and we're not going to get into the whole name change or anything like that right now no that's, that's no, That's not really because what
0: we're going well and it was funny because this was really the turn of the Cleveland Indians was kind of new at this time because there's a point in the early porch portion of their uh team where they were known as the Cleveland naps. Yeah, right, exactly. Named after yep. Napola Joy, right? their first uh, star. Yep. So Chapman is this awesome, awesome dude on the field, off the field, and dig this, prior to the 1920 season, he marries the daughter of the president of the East Ohio Gas Company, Ooh. which means that he married into some serious yeah. money, yeah. which is important because yeah. baseball players back then weren't paid like they are now. A oh, lot of them worked, worked uh, off-season jobs, yep. including Chapman. So he actually had a cushy offseason job at a metal making firm. Okay. In fact, the job was so good he was considering retiring before nineteen twenty.
1: Yeah, could you imagine that a professional baseball player saying, Eh, I'm not gonna play baseball in this day and age because I got a better job.
0: Yeah, I'm not gonna play baseball. I'm gonna work for the metal alloy company. <laughs> right. It just would never happen. Yeah. And
1: Different so, time. Different time.
0: Yeah. So he gets talked out of it because Indians manager and future Hall of Famer, Tris Speaker, yep, who is also Chapman's best man in his wedding.
1: Oh, that's fascinating. Right? Okay.
0: He convinced him to play at least one more year. Stick All around right. for the nineteen twenty season. We have a decent season, uh, we have a decent team. Let's Let's do this. All right. So it looked like a good decision at first. Sure. The Indians were in the thick of the pennant race in 1920 in search of their first ever World Series win. Yeah. So this is a big deal because back then the dominant team in the American League was the Boston Red Sox. Right. They'd right. won five of the first 15 uh, World Series. Right. and uh-huh. uh, A juggernaut. A total juggernaut. And, uh, you know, so they were on top of the American League in, 19, in August 16, 1920 just ahead of the White Sox, who hadn't had their Black Sox members banned yet. All right, so they were still playing for them. They were still playing. So that was the still scandal, all the, playing the, out. Yeah, the scandal had broken, and they yeah. were going through that, but nobody had stepped in and made a decision on whether or not they should play or not. So 19, uh, tw- 1920, the Chicago 8, Joe, Shoeless Joe Jackson and yeah, all and those all. guys are still playing. Okay. All right? So... Um, you had that, and then the team that they're playing on August 16th, the Yankees, are also nipping at their heels. Okay, so tight, so tight pennant race. Yeah, and this is a big one, too, because the Yankees, this is a big deal for them, too, because the Yankees had never made it to this level yet. They weren't the Yankees that we all know. Yeah,
1: this is 1920. I mean, yeah. really, that doesn't start until you got, you know, you, uh, Tw- like 27 is, is yeah. when they first make the
0: World Series, I do believe. So. Right.
1: And everybody goes to the 27 Yankees Is like right, the, that murderous Right. Exactly.
0: Yeah. So th- this, you know, prior to 1920, the Yankees sunk. Yeah. So, uh, so Red Sox still
1: think that, but that's all i Red all
0: Sox, yeah. Well, the Red <laughs> Sox are still, you know, they're still two years removed from one of the World Series. Okay. So, yeah. So, the, so they're playing the Yankees on this day. And this brings us to the other side of this. Okay. Uh, this uh, story, which is the pitcher All right. that faces uh, Chapman in the fifth inning. The pitcher that threw the pitch of death was a guy named Carl Mays. Okay. Now, Carl Mays, okay, some people have made the argument that he should be in the Hall of Fame, and he put okay. up pretty good numbers. He won 207 games over 15 seasons, All right. and he had he was known for two things. The first thing he was known for, he had this unique submarine-style delivery that Baseball Magazine said made him look quote like a cross between an octopus and a bowl. <laughs> so you could just imagine like, you know, squiddly diddly with a bowling ball, you <laughs> know, just you
1: know. I I think uh I think submarine pitchers the first one I go to is Kent Tekulve.
0: I go Dan Quisenberry. Oh sure 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 both of those. Yeah, yeah. because yeah because I think uh Tecovey was a little more sidearm than uh Quisenberry. Yeah, Quisenberry quiz. was very, yeah, very submarine. Quiz almost like dragged his uh Knuckles yeah. knuckles. And there's reports of Carl Mays like getting that submarine motion so so deeply that he would scrape the knuckles on his pitching hand wow. during his motion. Wow. Right? And so it was a style that made it tough for batters to pick up on the ball. Sure. Particularly because back then and this is another big story, we'll get to this more. The balls are dirty. They didn't have the cleaning ball protocols like they do now.
1: Oh yeah. I mean now the ball just barely hits the dirt and they they send it out. Yeah. And, and so by this time And then they sell it for a lot of money and people are happy to have it.
0: Yep. Them. But so yeah, so this time you imagine that. So yep. you know, and so that the delivery of the ball, all that stuff. So you know, and he was a good pitcher. I mean, as a member of the Red Sox, he was the winning pitcher in Game 6 of the 1918 World Series against okay. the Cubs. So, of course, that would be the last World Series the Red Sox would win for 86 years. So, this guy was a, you know, had a, was a pretty prominent uh, pitcher back in the uh, the teens, the dead ball era.
1: So, it's not like he was, like, pitching to nobody or not in big situations. So, he's, he's a big-time pitcher, big-time games.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he won. that was the second game that he won in that World Series, so. But here's the other thing about Mays. Mays was a known agitator and had a reputation for throwing at people's heads. Yikes. Yeah, he led the league and hit batsmen in 1917. Not not a stat I would want to have. No, and made a lot of enemies very quickly. Yep. So his rookie year is 1917. Or no, no not, not, not 1917. This is like um, I got my notes mixed up, so scratch that. His rookie year, though he developed a rivalry with one Ty Cobb. Yeah. Not not one you want to have a rivalry no, with. No, that's not who you want to pick on. So yeah. there's one game Mays threw high and inside on Cobb and Cobb responded by laying down a button, not necessarily for a hit okay. but just so we could spike Mays when he covered first. Oh
1: my gosh, that is total Ty Cobb. That
0: right? is the absolute that is the absolute Ty Cobb. But it left the wound so bad, it requires several stitches to close. Eesh. And later in life, Mays liked to show it off, uh, the scar that l- he left, like some sort of, like, prize accomplishment. <laughs> Look
1: what I got from Ty Cobb.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So not only was Maze – so Mays was a massive tool. Got it. And he was also extremely paranoid. He felt everyone was against him, including his teammates. All right. And to the point where he would berate his teammates if they committed an error behind him. All right, so so not so, a team player,
1: not great in the clubhouse, probably.
0: No, not a great, not great in the clubhouse. All right. Yeah, all that. So, and he just hated everybody. <laughs> so here's an incident in 1919. He's the you know they're playing a game against the Athletics. He gets so angry at A's fans for pounding on the Red Sox dugout roof. He throws a baseball in the stand, and the ball struck a fan in the head. What a jerk! Yeah, so. Now, remember... That's pe- foreshadowing. Right, exactly. Now, now, remember, people
1: were are talking about playing the A's. Just remember going back a couple of episodes when we talked about the transit nature of baseball. The A's are in Philadelphia at this time.
0: Yeah. So... And so, yeah, so you had all of that, and later in the season, 1919, he left the Red Sox in the middle of a game. Like he just quit? Seriously, yeah. So during a game against the White Sox... Uh, the Red Sox catcher tried to throw to second to prevent a stolen base. Okay. It ends up the ball ends up hitting Mays in the head. All right, he was so ticked because remember Mays thought everyone was out to get him. <laughs> he just left the mound and at the end of the inning and left the stadium. He just yeeted right out of there.
1: He's like, I'm taking my stuff and I'm going home. Yeah, he's
0: like I'm out. And he was traded to the Yankees. Um, he pretty much said, I ain't coming back until you trade me. Traded him to the Yankees, and so that's when he's pitching. Uh, against so that's, the Indians, that's why
1: he's that's why he's on the Yankees at this time when they're when they're playing uh, the Indians. Yeah, okay. because he
0: threw a temper tantrum and demanded a trade essentially. Um, this brings us to this game, specifically right. the fifth inning. Got it. So Chapman led things off. His team is leading three nothing. The count is zero one. Mays tried to deliver a fastball high and in inside. It ends up hitting Chapman in the head with what sports ri- sports writer Fred Lieb called quote a sickening thud. Yikes! Yeah. In fact, many of the players and the roughly 20,000 fans in attendance heard the town, including a right, a, the Yankee right fielder by the name of Babe Ruth. Now, think about that. Yeah. Babe Ruth was the right fielder for this game. Right. Just thinking context here, he's he's
1: in the game, he's there. All right. Yeah,
0: and this is the year before Babe Ruth started doing Babe Ruth things because he really did not start doing that until like 1921 when he hits, like, the 50-odd home runs. Right, right. So, okay. so he was in right field, so he could hear the ball hit Chapman oh, from okay. right field. Yep. So, um, you know, the ball, it happened so quickly, the ball actually ricocheted back to the mound. Yikes. Mays, thinking it hit off of Chapman's bat, picked up the ball and threw it the first. Of course, because he wanted to make sure he was out. Right, and uh, the first baseman, Wally Pip, who's the guy that got replaced by Lou Gehrig. Ah, a whole thing, okay. right? Okay, yep. Yeah, right. so he... Picked up the ball, he was going to like throw it back around the infield. Then he looked and he noticed Chapman that he, on the you know just what, what had going on. And without getting gruesome in a gruesome detail, sure. his injuries were awful. His face had essentially turned into a contorted, bloody mess. Wow. He tried to walk off to the clubhouse under his own power, which was out beyond center field. Oh okay? yeah, so we're we're polo grounds here. Yeah, yeah, and that's like a four hundred and you know what, four hundred eighty foot walk. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, this is not
1: back to the dugout, down the steps, and then in.
0: No, so he has to walk through the infield all the way out to the center field. Oof. And he tried to walk under his own power, but he couldn't do it. He collapsed. Okay. And so two of his teammates came out and carried him out. What a terrible feeling. Just it's a terrible, awful, right? Feeling. Yeah. You know, it's like you see your guy, and not only that, but just this beloved guy. Yeah. Right? And, you know, popular teammate. He was the antithesis of what Carl Mays was. Right, right. You know? So... Chapman goes to a nearby hospital where the doctors perform emergency surgery on his skull. After a slight rally, he passes away in the early morning hours of August 17, 1920. Here's the thing that really stinks, too. His wife, because remember, they're on the road, they're in New York. Right. So they had uh-huh. a telegraph, you know, get in contact with the wife and say, come to New York right away. His wife, who is pregnant with their first child, mm. does not get there in time so sad. And it sucks because when uh just a side note with that is his wife winds up becoming incredibly depressed and yeah, just Yeah, how would you not? Eventually, I do believe she takes her own life. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what's even worse is that the child developed measles and passes away at 8. So, Man, it you is can't is win just, for trying. What a tragic story. It is story. just absolutely just heart-wrenching what happens to the the the, the uh, Chapmans. So, after the game, Yankees manager Miller Huggins, who was the manager for Murders Row and all that, right, mm-hmm. uh, took Mays to the nearest police station to file a report. Oh. So that's really kind of interesting. Oh, right?
1: wait. Wait. The Yankees manager
0: did the that? The Yankees manager took him to file the report. And I don't know. I couldn't figure out the context why, if he was just trying to get one step ahead. Right. Right. Or whatever, because of Mays' reputation. Yeah. But this is what happened. Mays was cleared. Fascinating, yeah. But the news travels fast. Of even in, even in the day before, uh, you know, cell phones or right. you know whatever. Several players from the Red Sox, Senators, Browns, and Tigers called for Mays to be banned. Mm-hmm. Not surprisingly, one of the most vocal group, vocal, one of the most vocal voices of this group is Ty Cobb. Ah, uh, that of makes course. sense. And of course, some of the Indian players threatened Mays should he ever come back to Cleveland. Mm. Now, mm. so. Yeah, so this is all uh, just terrible, but let's actually break down a little bit of the context of the at-bat, of the incident. And really, several factors were said to have created the perfect storm for this incident. The game started at 3 p.m., and the skies were overcast. So now, now, 1920, this is before
1: before lights and baseball stadiums.
0: Right. Okay. And so you're actually playing in the late afternoon by the fifth inning. So you have to – baseball games went a little faster. So we're talking about 4 o'clock in August, and it's overcast. And if you've ever been outside when it's overcast, sometimes you get some of those uh, – you know, the sunlight trying to break through, and it kind of like intensifies the glare a little bit. Right, right. So mm-hmm. it makes it tough to see. So that made it p- tough to pick for batters to pick up on the ball. The ball was also like discolored from dirt and filth again. Oh my gosh, that's major be, that's baseball. Right. Like we talked about, did not rotate their balls back then like they do now, and so it was just filthy. And so you had a filthy, dirty, discolored ball with this glare from you know this overcast late afternoon game, at Chapman's crowding stance, May's submarine de- delivery, and May's penchant for throwing inside into the mix, and it was a perfect recipe for disaster. Yeah, and
1: Chapman. Chapman is hanging over the plate. Yeah, all of these. Wow. And all Mays had a together. reputation.
0: Or again, you know, two years later, earlier he led the league in hit batsmen, and he was known for just throwing high and inside, and just being kind of a you know a dirty pitcher. Right. Okay. So, so that's all the context. So, and so let's talk a little bit more about Mays here. Okay. And how specifically how he responded. Uh, sadly, his, ins- his response to the incident was incredibly on brand. Oh No, he said, quote, it is an episode which I shall always regret more than anything that has ever happened to me. And yet I can look into my own conscious and feel absolved of all personal guilt. I have long ceased to care what most people think about me. Well, I guess when you're a jerk, you got to get to that point at some point. Yeah. But so what? Well, a on non-apology is right. apology and just a total massive tool. So, um, that, yeah. that
1: kind of reminds me of Weston's apology from the last episode with the Coco scandal. Yeah, it's a non apology apology. It is. And how many of those have we seen in sports?
0: Oh, my gosh, hundreds, hundreds. This one's even worse, though, because, like, yeah, I did it and I regret doing it, but meh. you know, it kind of like shrugs his shoulders. Like, wow, I'm my conscience is clear. Mm. Pretty much, he said he shouldn't have been crowded the plate without saying he shouldn't have crowded the plate, right? So, right. yeah. Total jerk. Uh, so this death put a shroud over Major League Baseball, which was already a shaky ground. So look at what... Uh, just think about what Major League Baseball was like in 1920, okay? So the, the league is still dealing with the aftermath of the Black Sox scandal, right. which is still ongoing at this right. point. Uh-huh. You know, it's still trying to figure that out. They had just gotten around to banning spitballs.
1: Oh, yeah, that's right. That's a so, whole different yeah. thing.
0: So, And they actually put a grandfather clause... In because there was a handful of pitchers, and I don't think Mays was in this list. That said, oh, if you take spitballs away, it'll ruin our career. So they actually grandfathered some of these spitballers to continue using spitballs.
1: So it was just like uh, the new anybody new in there, you can't
0: use a spitball. Right. Yeah. It's kind of like the uh, you know the NHL helmet rule. Right. You could still wear it if, if you, you were drafted in- after 1979. You had to wear a helmet. Right. So um, so yeah, so you had that and. The, by the way, the last pitcher that was allowed to throw spitballs uh, retired in 1934.
1: Oh, we got like 14 more years of it.
0: Yeah. Wow. You know, there's just a small handful of pitchers, but that, yeah, yeah. So nonetheless, and so they just got that. The dead ball era and the lack of offense that came with it had started to cause crowds to dwindle. Okay. You know, Babe Ruth hadn't started doing Babe Ruth things yet, right? So, so there's
1: not this uh, renewed um, uh, excitement about something.
0: Yeah, it's still like, oh, let's go ahead and like watch bunts and sacrifice hits and stuff like that. So, that kind of uh, wore wore interest down a little bit. Um, you know, a few years later, the National League and the American League had withstood the challenge of a third league called the Federal League. Right. Mm-hmm. So that kind of like um, threw off their uh, their growth pattern a little bit, and then they also would. St- Withstood threats of a shutdown from the U.S. government during World War One. That's fascinating. That that whole idea, you know, with World War One,
1: and we've even talked about World War Two. What happens in sports yeah. too? But now we're we're talking coming out of World War One that they basically almost shut down. And I'm sure there wasn't the the same amount of players who were who were coming in because they were you know going to 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 fight in the war. Yeah. Wow.
0: We, Again, Chapman himself was a war veteran because absolutely. He, he, uh, you know, signed up and, you know, fought in the, for the Navy. And so you have all of this. But then you look also outside of baseball, okay, and society itself was in a weird space. You know, World War I had given away to the Spanish flu. Oh, we have heard so much about the Spanish flu going through this pandemic. Oh, yeah, too. absolutely. Yeah. But then that gave, gives way to a prohibition.
1: Oh, wow, one after the other. So it's
0: like, hey, congratulations, uh, you fought in the war and you survived the Spanish flu. You can't have a drink. Right. Yeah, how sucky is that? Right. Yeah, baseball was in a prime position to be a bomb. Right. But the Black Sox scandal gave it such a black eye that this wasn't as easy of a healing fix as it should have been. Yeah, it could have it could have been just this
1: fantastic thing that really society needed. Yeah. And we have talked about this in this podcast before this idea that that sports helps us through hard times. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about that with pedestrianism after the Civil War, we mentioned it after 9/11, these these things that kind of bring us together. And now we have this difficult time in American history and baseball might not be around.
0: Yeah. And it's really kind of strange because you think, oh, yeah, it's, you know, it survived all of this. But no, it was really on shaky ground here. It was really bad. And now having a guy like, you know, having Ray Chapman died because of an on-field incident yeah. in the midst of the Black Sox scandal, no less, somehow made this low point in baseball even lower. Right. I mean, right. I kind of think that this might be the lowest point in uh, baseball history. Because yeah, you just had a player die during the middle of the Black Sox scandal uh, aftermath.
1: Yeah, com, coming out of a world war and a
0: pandemic. Where prohibition, where you can't legally drink.
1: Wow. I don't think I've ever in my life put all of those, you know, circles together. Right. Yeah. Now we kn-
0: Now, we know the story, how the story ends, and sure. the next year, Babe Ruth, you know, it starts hitting, like, you know, hits his 50-odd home runs and really captures the imagination and really becomes that bomb. But right, right here, you know, you don't know this on August of 1920, and this right. is a really terrible thing, right? Right. But let's get – so let's go a little bit into the further because there is a little bit of a silver lining to this horrible story. Okay. So I think a, I need it at this point. Yeah. So this is where the good news comes in. So – after a few days of mourning, the Indians managed to rally and win their first ever AL pennant. Awesome. They would beat the Brooklyn Robins, now known as the Dodgers, right. in seven games. But it's not in the seven games that we think of today. The World Series in 1920 was a best-of-nine affair. That's
1: right. I, th- I think I remember yeah. that.
0: So the Indians won five games to two. So they won in the seventh game. They won in the seventh game, but that was the fifth game that they won in the World Series. All right,
1: so they could have gone further. Yeah, but it did. The, yeah, the We could have had
0: game. a game. We could have had a game nine. Yeah, that would have been weird. Wow. And uh, yeah, so w- so here's where it really gets kind of crazy, though. Okay. In a in a really cool way, one of the catalysts for the World Series win came from the Indian shortstop. Ah. Obviously, this wasn't Chapman, of course, but the tribe needed a replacement for their fallen star, so they called up a young 21 year old named Joe Sewell. Yeah. Despite only playing 92 games of the minors, they said. All right, kid. Here you go. That is not a long time in the minors. Not at all. I mean, even in this era. No, I mean, I can. I was just trying to think of like players that just spent just a teeny tiny amount of time in the minors. You know, some of them are like you know your superstars, like Willie Mays, yeah. barely spent time, right, right, right. You know, right. but yeah, so this guy is less than a hundred games in the minors, and you say, "All right, kid, we're calling you up." Oh yeah, by the way, we're in the middle of a pennant race. <laughs> um, so Sewell quickly becomes a star and quickly earns a reputation. As the toughest guy to strike out, dig this: his career high in strikeouts was just twenty in 1922. Wait, two zero, two zero. Think about how much how many strikeouts happen in Major League Baseball now. Yeah, there's just guys on scale
1: who, who get like a hundred, right?
0: Yeah, hundred and fifty. Oh, you know, I mean, what like Rob? He's the anti-Rob Deer. Rob Deer's the player of the right. 80s who struck out, what, 195 times? Ridiculous. Yeah, Horrible. 20 so times. 20 times. It gets better. In 1929, Sewell goes 115 games between strikeouts. Wait. How- 115 games without striking out. That is amazing. That's ridiculous, right? Wow. So he allegedly only uses one bat in his entire career, which he dubbed Black Betsy. One bat. One bat. This is a forty-year, forty-ounce black bat that he called Black Betsy. And he doesn't strike out. And he doesn't strike out. Wow! He has a sparkling fifteen-year career with the Indians, and uh, ironically enough. The Yankees. <laughs> Doesn't everybody end up playing for the Yankees, it seems He did, like. and he wound up playing, you know, and he won World Series with the Yankees. Okay. He was on the team in 32 when, you know, Babe Ruth did the called shot thing. Okay. So he ends up getting inducted into the MLB Hall of Fame in 1977. Oh. So this guy winds up, you know, under horrible and really a 21-year-old replacing – Again, this guy was LeBron James Beloved. before LeBron James. Beloved, all right, kid. You only have a hundred, you know, ninety-two minor league games. You're twenty-one years old. Here, please uh, take over the position of a guy that just died on the field. Oh, by the way, and try to help us win the pennant. And he does all that and winds up building this Hall of Fame career. That's a great story. It's incredible. Again, right?
1: Hollywood, if you're listening, there's another movie idea for you.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's tremendous. So. After Chapman's death, baseball immediately mandated that umpires put new balls in play whenever a ball hit the dirt. Fantastic. They kind of looked at that and go, okay, let's go ahead. And we talked about this in the pedestrianism, uh, part two of the pedestrian episode. Where, you know, there's when the bleachers collapse in Madison Square Garden, yeah, yeah. how like usually takes uh, something bad a for tragedy. something, innovation to happen. And this here is like, okay, maybe we should use cleaner balls that are, can be picked up a little bit easier for the hitters. So they did that. And then, uh, yeah, and then, like I said, though, the the last spitball pitcher was still playing until 1934. But they were on the way of getting that out. Of they the were gun, on the way of getting that out, but that was just a really weird grandfather clause. Right. Uh, to be put in there that th- that they didn't immediately just say you know th- this is some weird stuff that happens to a baseball you know sorry guys you're on your own learn how to throw a curve yeah right. you know uh but despite the call for mandatory banning helmets like from sources from the New York Times because after this you know places were saying hey we need to yeah. come up with some new banning helmets right. MLB was slow to make the helmets mandatory it didn't happen until 1971. Wait, that's like... 51 years after the Chapman incident, MLB does not mandate batting helmets. So in like 1970, you could have just batted with just your, your wool cap? Yeah, so Brooks Robinson, Roberto Clemente, you know, all these... St- Frank Robinson, all these stars could have had the option to just go up there with their uh, fielding cap.
1: Wow. Wow, that's from from Major League Baseball, right?
0: Yeah. Wow. And you know, and then you also, and this is I know you hear like stories about how like how many times Don Zimmer got hit in the head. Yeah, like three times Ugh. or something like that. Crazy, right? Uh, so the first team, the first team that mandate helmets was the Brooklyn Dodgers, but they didn't do that until 1941. So still, like like 19 it took years later, 21 yeah. years for a baseball team to mandate. Uh, batting helmets. I did and the math. 50- I did the math wrong. Everybody yeah. make fun of me for my math. That's all right.
1: I, what what year did the the, the Browns
0: move? 1954. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. Thanks for that. Uh. So yeah. So, you know, back and you know, back then, uh, obviously the the helmets that the Dodgers used were primitive, very much like early versions of football helmet or hockey goalie masks.
1: I do remember mm-hmm. reading a story, Richard, about uh like inserts that they would put
0: in. That's what the Dodgers did. They really yeah. just had like these uh padded inserts that yeah. they would just put in the caps.
1: Yeah, you, you didn't necessarily have to wear it when you're out in the field, but when you came up to bat, you had to put this insert that was in your cap, I think. I don't really remember exactly how it went. Somebody yeah. can source us on that. But.
0: And that's what the Dodgers did, yeah. yeah. Okay. But, yeah, so the last player to not wear a helmet in baseball was this guy named Bob Montgomery who retired in 1979.
1: So did they do, a, like, a grandfather clause with that too?
0: Yeah, they did. Okay. So, yeah, he didn't want to wear a bat- batting helmet, and when he retired in 79, he was the last player and. uh That's for you, uh, listener Gazal out there. Um, (laughs) So my buddy Gazal said, hey, you should talk about Bob Montgomery. So there you go. You're welcome. Perfect. Uh, First listener shout out. Yeah, totally. All right. right. And so before we wrap, I'd like to offer one more weird anecdote about Carl Mays. Okay. He was accused of throwing game four of the 1921 World Series at the behest of gamblers. Gamblers
1: again? Gamblers again. Gamblers are always in our stories.
0: Yeah. And so nothing came out of the accusations. Okay. But think about this: It would have been a disaster for yeah. baseball if the allegations proved to be true, and apparently, you know, the the, the table said this. He was just mowing down uh, the Giants in the World Series, seventh inning. The wheels fall apart, and he just like turns to garbage. Uh, uh. And so it all looks that right. So, you know, it would have been a disaster because you know this uh, this would have happened a mo- one month after. Uh, Baseball's first commissioner, Kennesaw Mountain Landis, banned the eight backso- uh, Black Sox players for life.
1: Yeah. So right. that happened
0: in August. This is going on in September. So if the news came out of uh, another gambling scandal a month after the Chicago Eight gets banned. Right. I mean, that rocks baseball to the core. Absolutely. Landis purportedly asked the reporter that was, quote, in the know about the scandal to keep it hush-hush until after the World Series was over. Probably a good thing. A very good thing.
1: Yes. So, For all of what Kenesaw Mountain Landis did or didn't do, and if you know that history, you know there's some uh, some some things there.
0: Oh, yeah, some horrible things. Yeah. But this was the right call. Right. Interestingly enough, the reporter that was in the know, Fred Lieb, the same guy that was at the Chapman game and said the sound of the hit was, quote, a sickening thud. Interesting. Right? It all comes around. It all comes around. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Man, Rich, that was that's amazing. I don't... I don't think I knew anything about that other than I knew that you had told me that it happened. To be honest with you, Richard, before you had said, uh, oh, I want to tell this story about this, I was like, eh, I don't really know that story at yeah. all. Again, the weird, strange, and unknown in sports yeah. is, is is what we get into.
0: And I think because, you know, this happened like 100 years ago. Now, first of all, you know, we're, you know, we're at a timeline where baseball incidents happened 100 years ago. Major right. League Baseball incidents happened 100 years ago. right. And this is just something that I don't want to get lost or take it for granted, just because there's so much context here, and it just and this kind of story is kind of cyclical. I mean, we saw this happen to the city of Los Angeles, yeah. uh, You know, in 2020 when Kobe Bryant's plane went down, yeah, yeah. You know, and just how that just rocked the city to its foundation same thing happened here yeah and it's just it really puts in perspective just how much uh uh, an athlete can mean to a city and that's the important that's the important takeaway here
1: yeah and and i think the other takeaway that i would take and you you kind of alluded to it is this idea that there are some amazing stories out there in the sports world that have been lost to to history um, well, may not lost the history, but lost to, to the modern, to the modern sports fan, uh-huh. that we don't we don't really get these things or understand any things or, or even understand their significance anymore or how they shape and um, are are, are uh, part of what of our uh, experience with with modern sports. Mm-hmm. And and I I love I love that you shared this story, Richard. And, Thank and, you. And
0: I look forward to to hearing more of these stories. Any,
1: anything else before we wrap up?
0: No, just uh, Carl Mays was a complete jerk, yeah, right? But you know that goes to that thing about you know, you know, story. A lot of sports stories are built around the concept of heroes and villains, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. same thing with like you know, tying it back to like horror movies, right? Heroes and villains, right?
1: Heroes and villains. Yeah, you
0: know, Michael Myers doesn't exist without uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, or Jamie Lee Curtis's character sure and i don't even i you know you, i'm at you're the i'm the wrong audience for those things <laughs> sorry uh, oh so i wouldn't be, even be able to tell you that the alien and uh, ripley and alien then yep same thing lost yeah people sorry. are probably cringing at this point going
1: what do you mean you don't know these things
0: you should watch alien it's good
1: Oh, scary all right let's um I'm in charge of the board again, so yes. we'll use we'll use this music to get us out. Thanks again, uh, everybody, for taking the time to listen, uh, especially for our uh, our Halloween episode. Uh, Rich, again, thanks uh, thanks for this peek into the weird, strange, and unknown uh, in sports. If you want to uh, drop us uh, a line, got a topic idea for us, uh, want to chat, maybe we'll give you a shout-out in another uh, episode. Uh, Of course, if you want to disagree with us, correct us. I'm sure we did some things wrong here. That's fine. Send us an email. I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes. Subscribe, rate, comment on your podcast platform of choice. Helps us out a lot. Look us up on Good Pods. Again, I've been using that lately for my podcast. Again, they're not a sponsor. Hey, if you want to sponsor us. Let us know. That would be great. But I really like it. You got some ways where you can connect with people, see what they're listening to, all that kind of stuff. People can follow you. It's kind of fun. Um, you can support this podcast financially. Uh, you can give us a donation. You can even do a monthly donation if we wanted to do that. That would be great. Link for that in the show notes. Um, Rich, we still need to think about something to give to, to everyone who signs uh, up or gives us a tip or donation or something like that.
0: Yeah, we should. Um Maybe we can give them that uh, music that I use for the bumper. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll find you know, out. F- access yeah. to that. It's, yeah.
1: it's royalty free. All right. There we go. Uh, again, you can connect with us on Twitter at Athletic Obscura. Again, doing lots of stuff on Twitter. I post something uh, every single day, something weird, strange, and unknown in sports. I would love for you to, to uh, contact with us uh, there Throw us a, a direct message. You can do that. If you are interested in sponsoring this show in a more substantial level, you can contact us uh, at our email. We'll get the ball rolling on that. Uh, and again, we thanks for our sponsor for this, Anchor.fm. Check them out for all of your podcasting needs. Uh, again, Rich, ton of fun.
0: Yeah, no, and thank you for listening to us. And yeah, please, we love research, and we love being surprised by research. So yeah. if you have any topic... Please share, because we will dive into that because this stuff is fascinating. Yeah, just because we know it doesn't mean that, um, you know,
1: just because you know it doesn't mean we know it. Right. You know, we know a lot of crazy things, but uh, please share those things with us. All right, our bumper music's running out of time. we got to get going. Until next time, we invite you to another discussion of the weird, strange, and unknown in sports. Adios, everybody.